welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. Now, fall is here and the leaves are changing up here in the northeast, so I decided to swap around the episode schedule a bit to do a nice timely fall-themed episode. Now, this one's not really quirky, creepy, or freaky necessarily, but I'm going to bringing you some information on how you can support your local pollinators and other beneficial insects throughout the fall and winter. We often talk a lot about planting wildflower gardens, native plants, and all of that good stuff to support your native bees and butterflies in the springtime, but what about the rest of the year? If you live somewhere like the northern United States, winter makes up something like eight months out of the year, and that's a lot of time to not be thinking about your pollinators. So we're going to talk about it. The winter nesting and overwintering habitat is really important for a lot of wildlife, so let's get into it. Now, the incredible majority of this week's information is coming from the Xerces Society for the Conservation of Invertebrates. As their name indicates, if you're not familiar with this organization, they do a lot of really important work conserving our invertebrates, and that's so things without bones, and their habitats. Many of their projects are aimed at conserving pollinators like bees and butterflies, but they also do a lot of work for other important groups of insects like the lightning bugs or fireflies, which, as we talked about in episode 17, have been declining in recent years in many areas of the country, and even native freshwater mussels. They have a lot of information and resources for helping out our boneless wildlife, So I encourage you to check out their website at xerces.org, that's X-E-R-C-E-S dot org, to find information about supporting your native bugs and what you can do to help out. Now, talking about pollinators and beneficial insects, we're going to be throwing these terms around a lot today. So you may be familiar with pollinators, but what are beneficial insects? Beneficial insects are insects or really other bugs and invertebrates that provide some service to us. So pollinators are beneficial insects, as well as things that eat pest bugs like aphids. So for a nice list, we have the bees, butterflies, wasps, and moths. These help to provide a pollination service as well as fireflies. Now wasps kind of have a twofold thing. We think of them as kind of scary and aggressive towards us, but they do provide an important pollination service as well as eating other pest insects. Now, the ladybugs and or lady beetles, as they are officially referred to, as I said, they eat aphids. And we also have a lot of ground beetles that provide a beneficial service as well. And just talking about the native bees, there are over 4,000 bees in North America. And then if we bring it out to pollinators as a whole, there are over 200,000 species that we rely on for plant pollination. So that's not even including the fireflies and ladybugs. So there are a lot of Uh, species at stake here that we are helping to support. And if we're thinking about winter, like winter is a pretty harsh season in many areas. And most bugs don't migrate. The monarch butterflies are pretty unique in their migration, uh, in their migrating lifestyle in the bug world. So where do they go and what do they do over winter? Do they just die? Do they hide out somewhere? What happens? Now with our bee species, about 70% of them burrow into open ground over the winter, so things like garden beds, if your yard is open and exposed, and some of the other 30% like to nest in cavities and burrow into into hollow stems in woody plants. 
Some other insects will hide in the leaf litter and or when they burrow into the ground, use that leaf litter as insulation. Or they'll hide in brush piles, dead wood, if you have any decaying or cut logs in your, or cut trees. If you have a stump in your yard, they'll use that. And any rock piles as well. That's the really nice thing when we're thinking about the hollow stem burrowing insects. With your wildflower gardens, not only are you already providing pollen and nectar in the spring, but you're also providing nesting sites over winter. About 30% of our native bees are tunnel nesters and use hollow stems and dead wood for nests. So if we're thinking about uh, some of the bee species that use this space, we have the leafcutter bees that like to burrow into stems of native thistles or desert willows. The yellow-faced bees are apparently really tiny little bees, and they're so small that they can burrow into the small stems of plants like bee balm and even roses. So those are some tiny bees if they can nest into like little herb plants. The small carpenter bees like to burrow into dead raspberry plants and wildflower stems. And then the mason bees are also a stem burrowing plant or a stem burrowing bee as well. But they are pretty resourceful and will take advantage of really any hollow space. I had a couple of mason bees this year make a nest in the... Uh, supportive pipe work of a patio furniture that I have. They apparently decided that the folding table I have on my balcony is a nice and protected area for a nest, so I'll have them overwintering on my balcony. Now the great thing here is that if you already have a garden and a wildflower garden, you're already helping out these guys. There are just a few things that you can keep in mind to further support all of our uh, ground nesting and stem burrowing insects to help them have a good time over winter. For our ground burrowing insects, the important thing is to just be mindful of how often and how much you're disturbing the ground and to work on minimizing that. If you have any fall gardening that you like to do to get plants ready for the spring, you can try to keep digging to less than six inches to avoid disturbing them. And if you have any areas of your yard or your garden that you are already aware of any nests of small native bees, you can mark off those areas, or you can mark off those areas so that you know that they're over there, everybody knows they're there, and that helps to keep you from disturbing them, so you're not going to accidentally dig up those nests. And then for any cavity nesters, for those that like to nest in woody plants and stems, check for any nesting bees before trimming them back to see if any are living in there. The mason bees and the leafcutter bees tend to cap the entrance of their nests with mud or resin, and the carpenter bees, they often don't cap the entrance, but they often will station themselves at the entrance as a guard, so instead of a nice mud door to a nest, you'll just see a little bee face staring back at you, and that's not scary at all. And the bees can also sometimes nest in any bamboo stakes or wooden dowels that you might use to do something like support your tomatoes in your garden. So look those over as well in case there are any bees that decided to use that space. For your stems, once you have note, once you have made note of any bees living in there, you'll want to cut them about 6 to 12 inches down from the nest entrance and put the stem somewhere cool, dry, and protected for the winter. If you live somewhere where the, where the winters are a little bit less intense, you can still keep them outside, just make sure that you keep the stem somewhere where it's protected and it's not going to get blown somewhere like a pond or something like that. 
And then once it starts to warm up in the springtime, you can put them on back out for their emergence. The other great thing here is that bees, whoops, is that bees will often use the old cut stems for next year's burrowing and nest laying. So you don't have to clean them up in the springtime for any of those little short stubs that may be left behind after a good trimming. So they'll still be able to use that space. Now that our plant stems are covered, what about our leaf piles? So leaf piles are a really important winter habitat and cover for quite a few beneficial insects and even burrowing bees like to use them for insulation. Most butterflies and moths overwinter in the leaf litter in all stages of their life cycle. The luna moths, so those are the really pretty uh, green moths that a lot of people are really fond of. And if you are on Instagram, I believe it was my Tuesday post, had a featured a luna moth, so you can check that out and also follow the Instagram page if you haven't already. So the luna moths and swallowtail butterflies have cocoons that blend in with the dead leaves, so they really rely on that camouflage to keep their cocoons safe over winter and they don't get targeted by predators, or so they don't get overexposed to the cold that's going to provide uh, some really important insulation. The woolly bear caterpillars overwinter in leaf piles as well and spend a lot of time finding them in the fall. Now, there are quite a few, as I said, other users of leaf litter. So some non-bee examples here will include things like ladybugs and fireflies. Stick bugs like tend to have their eggs overwinter in the leaf litter for then ants to bury in the spring. The pill bugs, also referred to as roly-polies, like to eat the dead stuff in leaf litter and create more soil, and even things like yellow-spotted millipedes will use it as cover. Why is providing leaf litter important? At least in the United States, we often pride ourselves on our really clean, neat, immaculate lawns, so a lot of people clean up the leaf litter in spring, mulch it, bag it up, whatever, or throw it out to help keep their lawn nice, clean, and spotless. Now, with over 40 million acres of lawn in the continental United States, that's a lot of habitat that's no longer available for overwintering spaces for all of the bugs that use them. And many of our beneficial insect species that are in decline rely on overwintering habitat to keep them safe in winter. So we can change the trend even without leaving a full layer of leaves covering your entire lawn. And in general, the thing to think about here is the simple thing to leave the leaves. So what can you do? Instead of mulching or shredding the leaves, you can use a rake or a leaf blower to move them. And this will help keep the leaves, one, keep the leaves intact, and two, any insects that are living in the leaves will also remain intact, especially if you tend to mulch the leaves in springtime. It would really be such a shame to kill all the bugs you tried to save by mowing them over, so use a leaf blower instead. And as I said, you don't have to leave an entire layer of leaves covering your entire lawn. You can designate a few areas of your yard as leaf areas instead. Now, what are some good areas for this? Leaves can provide a nice layer of mulch. They can act as mulch, so the base of planted trees would be a great area, as well as a nice uh, overwintering cover for your vegetable garden. If you also have some plans to plant a wildflower garden or other wildlife-friendly plants, these can also act as a nice repository for any leaves in the future. So not only will you be providing pollen, but you'll also be creating some more designated spaces for leaves. 
If you don't really have a whole lot of gardens or planted trees in your yard, not to worry. You can also designate a nice little back corner of your yard for a, for a season-long leaf pile. And then once the time for spring cleanup arrives, just wait a little bit after it warms up to allow the bugs hiding in their time to emerge in spring because again, it'd be quite the shame to ruin all of the efforts. And then once the time has come, you can rake up the leaves and use them as mulch for your garden. Now just by saving your leaves and creating the leaf piles, you'll be supporting so many bugs. So if the Luna Moths bring you joy and you absolutely love watching the fireflies during summertime, keeping a winter leaf pile may just encourage them to use your yard and will also increase your insect biodiversity over the years. Now if you're concerned about what neighbors or anyone in the area might think about your leaf piles, you can talk to them about it and it gives some added bonus points if you can get them on board as well. Now, unlike the last few episodes, I'm not going to leave you with any sad notes on bug conservation and declining species, but instead, I'm hoping to leave you with a little bit of hope. With so many species on the decline, simply providing a leaf pile for critical overwintering habitat can really make a difference for these bugs. So, save the bees and leave your leaves! Thank you for listening to this week's episode, and be sure to tune back in in a couple of weeks for the new episode then. If you have the ability to financially support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash quirkycreepyfreakypod. But no worries, if you are not currently able to financially support the podcast, or one of the best things that you can do would be to rate and review on iTunes, and you can also share the podcast with everybody that you know that needs to support some pollinators and really like some good pollinator fun facts. Be sure to go like the Facebook and Instagram page. Our Instagram is quirky creepy freaky pod and Facebook is just quirky creepy and freaky. Audio editing and recording was done by me, Olivia Strait, and the intro music was created by Kaylee Strait. Thank you for listening.